Did we forget to introduce ourselves last time? I think so. We were eager to get to that 911 call. <laughs> that's Caitlin. And that's Genevieve. And it's that time of the week again where we remind you why camping is canceled. And if we get enough Patreon subscribers, talk about how much we love our sponsor, Home Security System, <laughs> Simply Safe, so we never have to leave our houses again. But until then, we've got a doozy of a story to finish up. Today is part two of our coverage of the Michael Peterson case, and you need to stop here and go listen to part one if you haven't already. For everyone else, if you remember, we left off last week when Michael Peterson had been released on an $850,000 bond, and both the defense and the prosecution were gearing up for what they knew would be an intense and emotionally charged trial. Lead prosecutor and district attorney Jim Harden, aka Michael's BFF, was completely confident that Michael was, to put it legally, fucked. And yep. Michael's head defense attorney, David Rudolph, was equally certain that no sane jury would be able to convict his client on a first degree murder charge with all the reasonable doubts they had lined up. Into the weeds we go, campers. Oh man, the mountains call my number one. Real quick before we get started, I need to walk back and reverse a misspeak that we had in part one. There was a part where we were speculating about whether or not Michael and Elizabeth Ratliff had an illicit relationship in Germany, and there was a sentence where I flip-flopped Patricia and Elizabeth's names. So, sorry if that confused anyone. We were speculating about Michael and Elizabeth Ratliff having an affair, not Michael and Patricia, obviously, since that was his wife at the time. But we also can't be too hard on ourselves because I feel like this is actually a good thing to bring up. If you look at photos mm -hmm. from that time, Patty Peterson and Elizabeth Ratliff look so alike that it is disturbing yes and i like not similar size and hairstyle i mean like it looks like the same person has been double exposed into the photo that's how similar they look so it must have just been a subconscious thing that i flip-flopped their <laughs> names <laughs> I, that's okay that's okay on the one year mark after kathleen peterson's death and with a full year still to go before the start of Michael Peterson's murder trial, Kathleen's biological daughter, Caitlin Atwater, gave a media interview declaring to the public that she was no longer standing with the rest of her step-siblings in support of their father. In fact, she was now completely convinced of his guilt and planned to testify in court on behalf of the prosecution. So... How did this major allegiance flip come about? Just a couple of weeks after Kathleen's death, the Durham County Police issued a search warrant for the Peterson Mansion. When the Petersons were allowed to re-enter their home, they found a table in the living room completely cleaned off except for a single photograph laid out in the center. One of many photographs that had been found during a search of Michael's computer. Photos depicting gay sex between military men. 
With this revelation, Assistant Prosecutor Frida Black and District Attorney Jim Hardin had what they believed to be an airtight motive for murder. Their speculation was that on the night she was found at the bottom of the stairs, Kathleen had come inside from the pool between 10.30 and 11 p.m. and taken a phone call from a co-worker at Nortel about an upcoming work trip. When she either discovered the gay porn on Michael's computer or that he was having an illicit relationship with the man who lived outside of Durham County, or both. This type of revelation, according to Kathleen's sister Candace, would have humiliated and devastated Kathleen, so she would have confronted Michael about it immediately. They would have fought, and Michael would have beaten Kathleen to death. Now, we at Camping is Cancelled are going to say first and foremost that we firmly believe whatever the sexual preferences of legal and consenting adults are, fantastic. But we are talking about the Bible Belt South in the early 2000s. So to put it simply, with this information, all hell broke loose at the discovery of Michael Peterson, the wholesome family man being bisexual. This is something that I feel like as somebody who grew up in the Bible Belt South during this time frame Mm -hmm. and who went to a Southern Baptist church, the homophobia and the open disgust for any sort of relationship that was not a heterosexual monogamous marriage is truly, truly bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not as, I don't want to say it's not as bad today because I am not a member of that community, but I, I do visibly remember being a child and hearing hateful things being said from a pulpit about anyone in the LGBTQ community and so it does not surprise me at all that people freaked out about this but what I find so problematic about this response Mm -hmm. to this revelation of him being bisexual the issue is not that he was bisexual the issue should have been whether or not he was having an affair exactly like as soon as I heard this one, this is when I first, like, dived into the case. And yeah. I was like, he's guilty. Yeah. And I thought that was the perfect motive. And mm-hmm. it wasn't because he was bisexual and she yeah. was disgusted in that. Yeah. To me, it is he was having affairs. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if it was with women or men. Who cares yeah. about that? It's that it was not a consensual, open relationship. Right. And that's the question that we really don't know for sure ultimately is was it a consensually open relationship because he insists that it was Mm -hmm. but we don't know because we obviously don't have Kathleen to verify that but we also don't have anything from her that didn't verify that so it's difficult to say one way or the other and if this was in fact 
true that Kathleen did not know and would not have been okay with his having intimate relationships with other men, then yes, this could have caused a dramatic confrontation where she threatened to expose him and humiliate him and it could have turned deadly. But what if she did know and was totally fine with her husband's bisexuality and relationships with other men? According to Michael Peterson, she was. In the docuseries The Staircase, Michael Peterson said that Kathleen was both aware and accepting that he was bisexual, and that even though they did not explicitly talk about it, she knew and was comfortable with him occasionally having casual sex with other men. He estimated it was six, seven, or eight, somewhere in that number. He also said that her understanding of this aspect of him was a huge part of what made their relationship so good, and that his bisexuality did not bother her, because in his words, quote, that had absolutely nothing to do with not loving Kathleen or loving her less, quote. Michael even recalled that Kathleen would joke with him about his bisexuality, like, every time they would go to a military base, she would say something along the lines of, quote, They're just like you. They're all gay. Look, they're all touching each other and patting each other all the time. Michael's own brother Bill even said that he had known and accepted his brother's bisexuality for years, ever since Michael was 13 or 14 years old, and also claimed that their parents had known and accepted it as well as a part of who Mike was. And this is ultimately the issue we have with the prosecution painting Michael's bisexuality as a dark secret that would drive him to kill someone over the threat of it being exposed. Especially Kathleen, who by all accounts he had such a great relationship with. Fear of shame and exposure and being ostracized from family and friends could certainly be a huge motivator for keeping one's sexual preference private. But... Who would Michael have been ostracized from if his own brother and parents had known and been fine with it for years? And furthermore, once Michael's children find out about the bisexuality along with everyone else after the search warrant of their home, and Caitlin, you probably remember this from the documentary, but they literally go, okay, we could not care less if our mm -hmm. dad is bisexual, which to me, also says something about the type of home that they were raised in and the conversations they would have had surrounding the LGBTQ community because if they had been raised more in alignment with, say, how Jim Harden and Frida Black clearly feel about gay and bisexual people, that knowledge about their dad might have been met with shock and disgust, but it wasn't. So... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for, to me, Kathleen's sister to come to that conclusion that Kathleen would have been disgusted and humiliated by Michael's bisexuality. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't track there for me. But while we're talking about possible lies and deception, we do need to point out that Michael was not living openly as a bisexual man. And he kept that area of his life quiet, aside from the select few people who were aware. And when asked why he did this, and had allowed everyone else to believe he was straight and monogamous for many years, he said because it was just easier. 
I mean, can you blame him, really? Again, no. early 2000s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the Bible Belt. Yeah. And he didn't just land there later in life. That was where he grew up in the 1950s and 60s. So, And I think his brother and his parents backing him up in that. Yeah. I mean. That's pretty You can take it however you want if it's factual or not. But, like, his brother's sincerity Mm -hmm. and being like, uh, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, it just, yeah. To me, it tracks. Yeah. Agreed. And in the end, it was the combo of seeing the terrible autopsy photos of her mother's injuries, plus this revelation about her stepfather's bisexuality and extramarital relationships, and her aunt Candace's opinion that her mother would not have approved of her stepfather's proclivities, that pushed Caitlin Atwater to change her mind regarding his innocence and she actually ended up filing a wrongful death lawsuit against him. However, the rest of his children and his brother Bill would continue standing firmly by his side. And in a legal sense, attorney David Rudolph felt that since there was actually no hard evidence proving that Kathleen Peterson had only just found out about Michael's bisexuality on the night of her death, been, as her sister said, humiliated and disappointed and a fatal argument ensued, he felt he could cast serious reasonable doubt on this being a motive for homicide, especially with the prosecution's clear bias against the gay community. Hey campers, Just taking a break for a moment to say that if, like us, you can't ever quite get enough of deep diving into macabre topics with fellow sickos, you should pop over and check out a podcast that was recently plugged on an episode of the wildly popular podcast Morbid called Say Psycho Right Now. You'll journey with two best friends, LJ and Toe, as they explore true crime, conspiracy, and all manner of spooky lore. We were especially intrigued and disturbed by their coverage of Nanny Doss, the giggling granny of Alabama, and their merch is pretty fantastic too. You can listen to new episodes of Say Psycho right now, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Now that one sensational bombshell had been dropped for Michael's defense to navigate, it was time for another. In April 2002, with the trial just one month away, the Staircase documentary was filming Mike's attorney, David Rudolph, in his office. When David clicked on the 6 o'clock news, after about 30 seconds of staring intently at the television, he turned to the camera and said, quote, Okay, well, you guys got a much better film now. Unquote. <laughs> yup. Uh, what David and the entire world had just heard was that Kathleen Peterson was not the only woman in Michael's life to be found dead at the bottom of a staircase. Remember that other military couple, the Ratliffs, that Michael and Patty Peterson had been so close with in Germany? So much so that upon both of their tragic deaths, the Petersons legally adopted baby girls Margaret and Martha? Well... 
the evening of November 24, 1985, Mike and Patty made dinner with Elizabeth and her daughters at the Ratliff's house, and Michael stayed to help Elizabeth put the girls to bed before going home, which he'd often did according to his ex-wife Patty. The following morning, the Ratliff's nanny, Barbara, let herself in, and to her horror, found Elizabeth Ratliff lying dead at the bottom of the stairs. To Barbara's relief, the girls were still safely sleeping in their beds and at that point were too young to have any real idea of what had happened. It was a matter of moments from when Barbara found Elizabeth to Patty and Mike rushing over from next door and calling the police. Patricia would later say that absolutely nothing was out of place in the home except that Elizabeth was no longer living and that there was no visible blood anywhere that they noticed, nor was the presence of any extensive blood pooling or splattering noted on the police report. This lady is a little bit... She's... Woo-dee-woo. I don't, I don't even know, know what I were... would rely on her to speak on my client's behalf. Oh, Lord. In the documentary, when she's describing what happened and she's standing in the actual home where it happened, she has a very weird sing-songy voice, like a voice that is trying to lure children into oh, the God. woods. <laughs> and she's like... Everything was perfectly in place. There was nothing out of place in the home except that she was no longer living. <laughs> oh, you're suspicious. Oh. And then she also says the word automobile 400 times. Oh and she's gosh. like, so then I would ride with Elizabeth in her automobile. And then we would take one automobile and go up to the school as was customary to share automobiles. Girl, wait until somebody calls us out for saying car or truck 500 times because we're American. Oopsie. But I agree with you. Yeah, but I think Patty's American too. She just has lived in Germany for a real long time. Oh, are we talking about Patricia or Barbara? No, I'm talking about Patty Peterson. Yeah, Patty was weird. Yeah, okay, that's what I'm Bar talking about. I thought literally everyone was weird. Oh, yeah, Barbara. Maybe that's just comes. I'm... I no, judge everyone. Barbara, isn't she the blonde lady? Yeah, she's the one who's like, I had visions upon my return. Oh my god, yes. Oh it's yeah, like, okay, So yes. you had visions how many years later? Yeah. The, Just oh, before yeah. you appear in court? Oh my gosh, yeah. Okay. No, I'm uh, I'm talking about Patty mm -hmm. Peterson. Okay, Michael's no, I... Wife, who is because fruity, when you were doing the like voice, her. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize how crazy she was. But I I like her though I I can't help she's like fruity but I like her she was just different yeah she's just you know she has a very eccentric personality and Michael also has oh, an eccentric yeah. personality so you can see why they were in a friendly platonic marriage together they were probably yes. just really good friends and and also in a case like this do you expect anyone to be quote-unquote normal yeah not really apparently multiple friends as well as elizabeth's own mom knew that she had been suffering from absolutely brutal headaches for weeks to the point where she had an upcoming appointment to see a doctor about them and a thorough investigation and autopsy conducted by both the german and u.s military police and a physician present at the scene concluded that elizabeth ratliff died from an intracerebral hemorrhage from a blood disorder called von Willebrand's disease. 
They arrived at this conclusion based on blood present in her cerebral spinal fluid that was taken at the scene and from all the other reports from family and friends that she had been complaining of severe headaches in the weeks leading up to her death. So basically, she had had an aneurysm and had passed before she had even landed at the bottom of the stairs, and Michael Peterson was the last known person to see her alive. That's suspicious. Michael. That's weird. Oh, Now, David Rudolph and the rest of Michael's defense team had already been made aware of Elizabeth Ratliff's death and had gone over the official autopsy reports, and at that time, they didn't believe they had any reason to be worried about it being used against Michael in trial. Despite the original ruling by German law enforcement and medical experts that Elizabeth Ratliff's death was by natural causes, Durham police believed that the similar staircase circumstances of the two women close to Michael warranted an exhumation of Elizabeth Ratliff's embalmed body after 18 years and another autopsy, and they got permission from Elizabeth's sister and mother to do so. The defense knew that if this information was allowed into trial, it could cause major problems for them, and the prosecution definitely knew this. They also knew that if they fought the exhumation... (laughs) It's exhumation now. (laughs) It is. It would look like they were trying to hide something, so their hands would have not been more tied. Yeah, I could see that looking really bad if they fought her being exhumed if i was on jury and so and so was tried for murdering his wife Mm -hmm. who was found at the bottom of the staircases and you presented me evidence of him being in a relationship platonic or not a relationship with another woman who was found Mm. dead at the bottom of the staircase to me that is damning yeah it does not in the moment it really doesn't look good because it's that whole lightning doesn't strike twice concept and the only thing that I keep coming back to is that so many people had to agree at the same time that her death was of natural causes and was accidental Mm -hmm. that it had to have in my mind it had to have been valid because they talk about how there was the German medical examiner, there was a police, there was a physician, there was U.S. military people that also came in because she was, you know, a U.S. military mm-hmm. person. And so it just doesn't make sense that if anything at all had seemed suspicious, you would think they would have further looked into it. But I think that presence of the blood in her cerebrospinal fluid immediately at the scene is that classic brain hemorrhage sign and and it's easy to sit here and look at it all yeah and think that because i completely i completely Mm -hmm. agree with you but had i been on that jury oh yeah it looks bad that's so damning because it's just like you're told that the autopsy it was natural causes, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But you're just like, staircase, staircase. Yeah. Hmm. And inside of a home, too. And there are plenty of other cases where these types of things have happened. And it was a person serially disposing of 
women just because they wanted their life insurance or whatever. So it's definitely really suspicious. Against the imploring of Michael Peterson's defense team, the press was allowed to film the exhumation and transportation of Elizabeth's casket all the way from the gravesite, Texas, to the morgue in Durham, and the coverage ran for days all over the news. Instead of using a neutral medical examiner to perform the autopsy in Texas, where she was buried, the prosecution made it a point to transport Elizabeth's remains hundreds of miles back to Durham so that Deborah Radish, the very same woman who worked for the county and concluded that Kathleen's death was non-accidental after the medical examiner at the scene said it was accidental, could perform her autopsy and write the report. Hmm. Interesting. Coincidence? I think not. <sighs> and unsurprisingly, Deborah Radish's findings were essentially the polar opposite of German law enforcement's from 1985. And Radish wrote on her autopsy report regarding Elizabeth Ratliff's injuries that, quote, The inflicted trauma is clearly from a homicidal assault. The defense was appalled because, according to David Rudolph, this particular wording to describe blunt force injuries was, quote, not a medical diagnosis. It was a closing argument. In addition, this phrasing had never before been used in North Carolina's history in 260 medical examiner reports following homicides where blunt force trauma was inflicted on the victim in the last decade some of which were written by Deborah Radish herself, and Rudolph believed that this wording was extremely calculated on behalf of the prosecution to sway the jury in favor of a conviction. The defense filed a motion to seal Elizabeth's new autopsy report from the press until the judge had determined whether or not it would be allowed into the trial, but the motion was denied, which again meant that mere days before jury selection, any potential jurors had the headline, quote, Liz Ratliff killed as a result of homicidal assault, sealed into their brains, even though the German police, a German doctor, the United States Army military police, and an autopsy had all concluded that Elizabeth Ratliff died in 1985 of natural causes due to a brain hemorrhage from von Willebrand's disease. There was absolutely no hard evidence that Liz had been murdered by Michael Peterson, or anyone else for that matter. And the prosecution even had Margaret and Martha DNA tested, hoping it would show that Michael was their biological father to create a motive for murdering Liz from a possible affair. Hmm. Both tests came back negative. Michael also received absolutely no financial benefit from Liz's death, and any and all money she left was spent directly on the girl's needs and education. But two women found dead at the bottom of the staircase who were both closely connected to the same man had powerful emotional appeal, and if reasonable doubt was nowhere to be found, the jury would be left to think that Michael might not only be a murderer, but a serial killer. This was definitely darkly brilliant on behalf of the prosecution and Detective Art Holland and District Attorney Jim Harden and all of them because they Absolutely. knew exactly what it would do if they could get that exhumation publicly filmed have that wording put just so on her autopsy and then have it unsealed to the press which is actually really 
really bizarre because usually that stuff is locked down and isn't allowed to be released to the press or the public because it could affect the jury pool before jury selection, especially in a smaller town. So it really does make you think what was going on corruption-wise there because you have to have the judge, the district attorney, the chief medical examiner, the lead prosecutor, the assistant prosecutor, all of those people had their hands in this pot or cookie jar of we are going to orchestrate and calculate all of these moves to make sure that Michael Peterson is guilty before he ever has a fair trial. And that definitely is just as sketchy to me as two women associated with Michael Peterson Mm -hmm. being found dead at the bottom of the stairs. But when you live in a small town and you see those headlines, homicidal assault from another woman that he knew 17 years ago, then everybody's just like, oh yeah, well, obviously he's guilty. And that was that when so many experts said that it was natural causes that killed her. And, and I mean, I like to play the devil advocate. Mm -hmm. It's like, if he is guilty, then that's great. I'm glad the prosecution pulled all stops to show that he was. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I mean, like, it sucks because, like, again, this case is such a mind fuck. Mm -hmm. And half of me is like, he did it. Half of me is like, he did Mm -hmm. not do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, if he did do it. I would want to know. I would yeah. want the autopsy of Liz Ratliff done. Yeah. But I, I completely agree with you. I think it is bullshit. And it just it does show that mm-hmm. what is being done behind the curtain to solidify his guilt. Without any actual forensic evidence. evidence. That's a big thing. Is it's all circumstantial. That's what blows my mind. Because mm-hmm. even though there's part of me that thinks he did do it. There is no hard evidence for me to truly believe in. Yeah. And something else that is a major inconsistency between Kathleen and Elizabeth and the way in which they were found. Yes, they were both deceased at the bottom of the stairs, but their wounds to the back of their heads could not be more different. Kathleen Mm -hmm. has those seven vicious lacerations that look so so horrible and it is very difficult to believe looking at those that they came from a fall down three stairs but Elizabeth Ratliff's head injuries are minimal compared to Kathleen's there's no splitting down to the skull Mm -hmm. there's some I want to say it was like three or four small wounds and also wounds elsewhere on her body much more consistent with a tumble from the top of the staircase than Kathleen ever had. So all of that tracks with that original autopsy finding that agreed she had an aneurysm and fell. people from 
various different departments yeah. agreed with. Yeah. Ay, 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 ay. It's building up to a be a mess. And now another huge question hanging in the air, or shall we say blowing into the flames of the courtroom, was what the hell could have been the murder weapon? Enter the blowpoke. Blowpokes are long, thin, and hollow brass fireplace tools with a flat triangular hook slash blade piece on the end that kind of looks like a fin. And if you're a rich person, is used for stoking the fire in your fancy fireplace. The Peterson blowpoke had been given to Kathleen by her sister Candace for Christmas sometime in the 1980s. And Kathleen had always kept it in a stand along with several other fireplace tools. But in the police-led searches conducted at the Peterson home, this blowpoke was apparently nowhere to be found. And because of its light weight from being hollow, plus the sharp implement on its end, the prosecution would present a replica of Kathleen's blowpoke in court as a possible explanation for a blunt force weapon that could have caused the seven brutal lacerations to Kathleen's skull that resulted in her death without actually fracturing her skull or causing significant brain trauma. They backed this theory with expert witness testimony from a blood spatter analyst named Dwayne Deaver, who was certainly no rookie expert. He testified that at that point in his career, he had worked a total of 500 blood spatter cases, written 200 reports, and testified in court on 60 different occasions. So his word would be pretty trustworthy. He testified that after conducting multiple meticulous experiments, he was confident that the patterns of blood splatter and spray found in the staircase were consistent with a beating death done with a blunt force instrument that very likely could have been a blowpoke. But even though it looked awkward as fuck to watch <laughs> him in those videos swinging the blowpoke around... <laughs> Do you know uh, what I'm talking I about, exactly Caitlin? exactly what you're talking about. If you have any level of curiosity as to what we're talking about, these experiments that Dwayne Deaver conducted are basically him holding this blowpoke, which is maybe four feet long, a little more than four and a half feet long, and he's hitting a styrofoam head that has fake blood inside of it in an attempt to create blood spatter in a mock-up of the staircase. So he basically recreates the staircase scenario mm -hmm. and then tries to replicate the blood splatter that you would expect to see if somebody was beaten to death with a blowpoke. And you know, I like that. Like I as a juror, I would want to see yeah. physical evidence. Like, I would want it reenacted for me. Yeah. But then the problem <laughs> becomes, and this is not my observation. This is first and factual. foremost what factual and what David Rudolph notices Dwayne Deaver doing in the courtroom is that 
instead of actually following the scientific method, Mm -hmm. which is you create a scenario and you then perform your experiment and you document exactly what the results of that experiment are and that's your answer, Mm -mm. I'm giving it a very loose uh explanation that's Homie not went fancy rogue. but yes he super went rogue and he worked backwards essentially from the scientific method mm-hmm. so he instead of just following the steps and recording the conclusion he started with the conclusion that he wanted that he made yes, for himself and he worked backwards to manipulate the steps to create the result that he wanted so he said okay if Kathleen's blood splattered in this certain kind of way I am going to hit this fake styrofoam head with a blow poke full of blood 14 different times until I get that exact exactly pattern and then I'm going to say oh well it could have happened if he had stood in just this right way and that is not the scientific method no that is really that's not even science that's just you your opinion and you yeah. happen to find a styrofoam head and fake blood and you you went wild with it <laughs> you quite literally did go wild like it's oh. it's laughable to watch him performing these experiments if it wasn't so cringy that you're messing with somebody's Gosh. life. And even though Dwayne's wild gesticulating with the blowpoke looked awkward as fuck and certainly was not airtight, uh, considering this supposed blowpoke hadn't even been located, um, it honestly still seem more plausible than the defense's explanation that Kathleen's wounds came from three sudden slips and falls over just three steps. Can I just make one comment oh, that yeah. I've been sitting on? Of course. Don't ever fucking gift me a blow poke for Christmas. <laughs> a blow poke. Any any holiday. A fucking blow poke. That is such a rich people gift. That's something you buy when you have so much money, you have no idea what somebody might need. I so, came from like middle class, maybe even like lower middle class. And we had a fake fireplace and we had a, a blow poke. We had like the little accessories for the fireplace. That is the stupidest fucking gift I have ever heard. Give me socks. Give me underwear. The things that I need. A fucking blow poke. Pisses me off. I'm sorry, I just had to say something. It seems like a bad white elephant gift. Like Candace thought she was some shit given everyone she knows a blow poke. Ma'am. Give me a gas card. Mm. Ooh, that would be a great I mean, gift. Honestly. Yeah. But I, I like that pisses me off. I'm sorry. So it's no wonder it's missing because Kathleen was probably like, This is stupid as hell. This is a dumb gift. Never looking at this. She's got five kids to blow out and poke her <laughs> fire for her. She doesn't need a blow poke. I, I'm sorry. So, <clears throat> somebody get Caitlin a blow poke. <laughs> I might murder said person with the blow poke. Then a blow poke might really become a murder weapon. Oh, maybe I'm not helping mm. Michael out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, unfortunately, all the defense's experts could truthfully say with absolute certainty 
was that Kathleen's injuries and the evidence in the stairway were more consistent with a fall than with a beating, but they could not actually rule it completely out. And with the images of the sheer gruesomeness of the wounds to the back of Kathleen's head being impossible to look past, things were not looking great for Michael Peterson. And yes, that's really the biggest issue for me in this whole thing is that the defense does work super hard to try and poke holes in the prosecution's theory or say, well, you don't actually have hard evidence that that's what happened. But just saying, well, she could have gotten those from falling and slipping three times saying that sounds so inconsequential compared to the brutality of what the back of her head looks like. And so if I was sitting on that jury, it would be really difficult to believe that those came from a fall. I agree. And if they didn't come from a fall, where did they come from? And nobody truly answers that besides the prosecution. Besides the prosecution, even though their answers are speculations yeah. it is uh, yes. it sucks it really does suck it does and another bizarre twist no sooner had the prosecution hammered home their theories about the blowpoke when suddenly the long lost fireplace implement was found in a dark corner of the peterson's garage where it was propped against a wall dirty and covered in cobwebs testing to the blowpoke confirmed that there was no blood anywhere on it And the buildup of debris surrounding it indicated that it would have been sitting there for a very long time, at least a full year. It was also completely undented or bent, unlike one would expect if it had actually been used in a violent beating. Now, this definitely went a long way in clearing the blowpoke as the murder weapon. The defense was extremely careful to handle it with a proper procedure, and even the judge came to the Peterson home to see it for himself, covered in cobwebs before it was submitted to evidence. But unfortunately, this revelation still didn't negate the prosecution's theory of homicide by blunt forced weapon. It just eliminated the blowpoke itself as the weapon. But possibly the most effective and final maneuver up the prosecution's sleeve, and particularly assistant prosecutor Frida Black, was in their ability to use Michael's bisexuality to poison the jury against his character. Frida Black would dramatically wave her hands and call the photographs depicting gay sex on Michael's computer as, quote, PRT fails. Jen says it best, yeah. So vile that they couldn't even hold them up in the courtroom. Oh my. How many of these exact same types of pictures, first of all, she's probably looking at them and being like, oh, that's nice. She's probably like, oh, my husband doesn't do that. Do you know that I think she actually passed away? She actually, I can't remember, I think it was 2018 maybe, so it wasn't that long ago, Hmm. but she was actually found deceased. (gasps) At the bottom of a staircase? (gasps) No, she was uh, found on her couch when Hmm. nobody had heard from her for a few days and they performed a wellness check um, and she had passed away from complications from a I believe it was a liver cirrhosis from excessive alcoholism. So, ma'am, what were you drinking to cover? I mean, she was probably drinking that entire trial. 
I would. Yes. I, I am right now. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Talking about Frida. <laughs> but yeah, she's literally is just like pure tea filth. And I don't even know what the tea is supposed to stand for. But, you know, I don't know. She felt a certain way and she showed it. So. Yeah, she did. It just added to the dramatics of this case. Yeah. The prosecution then had a young military man named Brad take the stand, whom Michael had met through a male escort site and had carried on an email relationship within the months prior to Kathleen's death. Brad testified under oath that he and Michael had never actually met in person and that in their email exchanges, Michael actually wrote multiple times about how amazing Kathleen was and how much he loved her and how she was embracing of his bisexuality. But the prosecution speculated that Kathleen had discovered their email exchange on December 9th and that this had led to a violent and deadly argument, even though, again, there was no real evidence to support the speculation. But then the jury was allowed to read Mike's emails exchanges with Brad, which were sexually explicit and were shown the nude photos Brad had sent Mike. At this point, when we have camera access into the courtroom, we can't see the pictures that get shown to the jury, but we know that they're of these nude photos and the disgust on the faces of the jurors is they make no attempt to hide it and for me that's the point where you're like well he's fucking done oh he's fucked yeah there's no way that the prosecution didn't know that or try purposely to pick jurors that they knew would align with that whole spectacle that they were going to do when the jury selection process was happening and it definitely had a huge effect I think on their opinion of Michael Peterson and finally according to Mike's attorney David Rudolph quote the most prejudicial evidence was provided by a trio of women who claimed to have seen a large amount of blood at the scene of Liz Ratliff's death Describing the scene in exactly the same language and as very similar to the scene in the Peterson stairway, with large amounts of blood all over the walls going up the staircase. Had the scene been as these women described it, it seemed likely that both the German police and the Army's Criminal Investigation Division would have investigated the death as a possible murder, and that these women, who were Liz's friends, would have requested such an investigation, but that didn't happen. Quote, the prosecution knew that these types of emotional testimonies would make the jury care less about the weaker forensic aspects and lack of evidence in other areas, and it worked. On October 10th, 2003, after one of the longest trials in North Carolina history, the Durham County jury found Michael Peterson guilty of the murder of his wife Kathleen, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Michael's children wept in the courtroom, and after the verdict was delivered, Michael asked if he could be permitted to turn and speak to his children. Before he was led away in handcuffs, he looked individually at Margaret, Martha, Todd, and Clayton, and mouthed, it's okay, four separate times. And the public thought that was the end. But in 2011, 
after serving eight years in federal prison, another bombshell would be dropped directly onto the outcome of Michael Peterson's trial. Remember that blood spatter analyst and expert witness for the prosecution, Dwayne Deaver, who had so meticulously conducted the scientific method to come to the conclusion that Kathleen Peterson had been beaten to death? Well, as it happened, old Dwayne boy had only completed two courses in bloodstain analysis. He was also never a member of any professional bloodstain analysis organization, and his degree was actually in zoology. He had also only written 47 reports instead of the 200 that he'd claimed during Michael Peterson's trial. And it was also found that Deaver had testified in just four bloodstain cases in court, with Michael Peterson's case only being the third. He said, if you remember, that he had testified in at least 60. An investigation of the SBI also found that Deaver had been involved in a series of flawed criminal cases, including giving false evidence and withholding evidence in instances. In 1993, a man named Greg Taylor had actually been on trial for murder, and Deaver testified that his vehicle had, quote, chemical indications for the presence of blood, quote. However, he did not share that additional testing showed there was actually no blood at all found in Greg Taylor's car, and the poor man served 17 years in prison for a murder that he did not commit. In total, the investigation found the SBI misrepresented evidence in more than 200 instances between 1987 and 2003, and an independent audit also found that Deaver himself was responsible for falsely representing evidence in 34 of these cases. As a result of his actions in the Greg Taylor trial and findings by Judge Hudson, Deaver's testimony in regards to the blood spatter evidence in Michael Peterson's case was deemed inadmissible in court, and Michael Peterson was granted a retrial. And that is where we're going to put a pause on our episode today because, surprise, surprise, this is now going to be a three-parter instead of a two-parter because we wanted to make sure that we give ourselves plenty of time to take you through the ensuing retrial process, the Alford plea, the OWL theory, which is going to be really, really interesting to get into, and basically where the Petersons are now and all of the things that ended up coming as a result of this case and trial. So, yeah. We like to talk. <laughs> we can't wait to tell you all about it. Exactly. And in the meantime, if you would like to follow us on Instagram, that would be fantastic. You can find us at Camping is Cancelled. Drop us a Gmail if there's any cases you would like to hear covered to campingiscanceled at gmail.com. You can also find us on Patreon at Camping is Cancelled. See you back next week where you have to sit through one more episode of all the Michael Peterson shenanigans. Bye! Bye! <laughs>